God bless the grey mountains of dark Donegal. God bless Royal Alioc, the pride of them all. For she sits even more like a queen on her throne and smiles on the valleys of green in a That's by Sir Charles G. Duffy. Hello and welcome to the Pishrogues podcast. Peddlers of Irish myth, folklore and superstition. Ooh boy. Let's jump in. Good morning, good morning, and good evening, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, good good night. Um, it'd be a funny way to go to bed, listening to me. But uh, welcome to the Pitchrokes podcast, as you've heard already. Uh, it's been a while, of course, but uh, we're back, I'm back, and Aaron's here in spirit. Uh, and today in his place I have a bowl of vegetable soup, three slices of bread, and a pasta donata, because I'm a fat and um, a cup of tea as well, of course, something light, something light. Uh, but don't worry, I won't be eating that uh, as we record. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll be having that in. <laughs> I'll be having a little interview of my own in between uh, recording sessions. Um, but yeah, today I uh, got a very special episode. Why is it special? I don't know, but it's on the Rhiannon of Alec. Uh, the the stone house of the sun, I suppose, would be the direct translation, and that's up there, Donegal area. Uh, I saw someone give it to Derry. I'm going to give it to Donegal. Whatever, you can fight over it. I'm sure you know better. Uh, But yeah, it's an antiquity that has seen uh, so much of the history of Ireland. uh, And I thought it uh, fit to to focus on uh, in its entirety in this episode. We'll be mainly following uh, the sort of written account uh, of Samuel Scott. Some old git on uh, the Duicus website. I'm joking, he's not an old git. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, we'll be looking at his writing. Uh, he, uh, he just has a gorgeous turn of phrase. I do think. I said I'd focus on uh, on Green on Avalok just because uh, between history and and folklore and mythology, um, it's just amazing uh, to to see it forgotten and rediscovered and uh, rebuilt. Uh, you know, tweaked throughout the years, and you can see just sort of. Um, as you peel back the layers of the onion, um, the different people that we consider, um, the Irish, if you get me, and I think it's very, in a certain way, it's humbling to, uh, to see that uh, the Irish, in quotation marks, you know, it's it's a, it's a cum- accumulation of many different, um, different groups of people and and different groups of thought, and um, but they all sort of, uh, you could pick any antiquity as we've learned. And sort of follow that trajectory, but I think it's summed up very well here in Donegal. Don't worry, I'm going to sample the soup though and let you know how it tastes before we get into the episode, and then I'll eat the rest of it on my own. Hold on, dip in the bread. Oh, that's quite nice. It's only that microwave stuff. I actually dropped um, the soup pot, you know, the type of one, on my way out of Tesco, and a little bit of it poor, leaked out. But uh, yeah, there was still enough left in it, so. I picked that stuff up and I legged it. I would have stayed and cleaned it, but I wouldn't really. I'm just saying that because I've been recorded. Um, yep. Before we go into um, into Samuel Scott's account of the uh, Green on of Alec, uh, I just said I'd go into a sort of general thing to give you the idea of it. Um, so uh, the stone fort of Rhiannon of Alec sits on a hilltop in Inishowen in County Donegal. Uh, 250 millimetres... 
above the sea level. It's <laughs> it's nearly going to be swallowed up. Now, 250 metres above sea level. Uh, the stone fort was probably first built on an earthen wrath. Uh, I think it's important... I think we go on about rats and hill forts and rats and hill forts and all this sort of stuff uh, without really, you know, going into, you know, it's not since junior cert I've had it you know, properly defined to me. Um, so a ring fort uh, can be described as a space, usually circular, surrounded by a bank and a ditch or simply a rampart of stone. The bank is generally built by piling up inside the foss a long, narrow trench uh, for excavations, uh, especially in fortification. That's what a foss is. Um, so yeah, you essentially dig out this foss, this hole, and then uh, you, you build up a lot, you use what you've dug out uh, to create the, uh, the bank. Um, but ring forts uh, vary considerably in size and style. In more elaborately defended examples, such as Aliak, uh, the defences take up a much greater area than the enclosure itself. So the enclosure itself, yeah, there's, there's quite a few many more uh, walls and stuff around uh, Aliak uh, than there is... Um, uh, actual Aliak, <laughs> um, uh, but I uh, will go on to see. Some people think, or uh, at least some of the sources I found think that it might be a sort of like prestige sort of thing, rather than any real defensive um, uh, function. But uh, yeah, Matthew Stout um, gives examples uh, on why uh, people who built these structures chose this circular formation. Uh, he gets very. Uh, very real strategic uh, advantages. Uh, circular sites allowed for a broad perspective of the surrounding area and allowed the maximum area to be enclosed relative to the bank constructed. Uh, he also comes up with more metaphysical theories, so he suggests the circular formation uh, linked the sites to its, uh, and its occupants with the circular burial mounds of their ancestors. And oftentimes these sort of defensive structures, uh, you know, they, they would be built uh, on these sacred sites, you know, with maybe the maybe the um, burial site being at the centre. But uh, about a third of all Irish hillforts have mounds or cairns within them. So there you go. Yeah, they have... Uh, uh, you'll see that yourself. That it, it's, it can be hard for me to grasp when the actual origin of what we call, let's say, the likes of Aliuk, uh starts, because obviously, you know, there might be a cairn at the centre, and how, how many thousands years old is that? And then there's the fortifications around that, and then there's maybe further improvements to the fortifications that might have came with Christianity, you know? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's once again, as I said, it's, it's a reverse onion. I don't know why it's reverse, but you get what I mean. Um, oh yeah, about a third. It's, it's it's like when you get the old extension onto your house. I remember we got the extension. It quickly became a utility room. Uh, so whatever utility room is usually has a bit of screws and hoovers and stuff into it. Um, but I'm sure they were doing more than that. Um, at these hill forts. Um, yeah. Um, the Aliak is no exception. Uh, it has a cairn at the centre. Uh, he also puts a, a forth uh, the idea that a circular form was favoured because corners could act as a dwelling space for evil spirits. Uh, he bases these claims on ethnographic comparisons. So yeah, that's in other cultures uh, similar to ours. You know, corners are associated with demons and evil spirits and stuff. Um, whereas more you know round spaces are are, are you know divine. Uh, but you know, take that with a pinch of salt, please. That's not um, that's not me. That's not me saying that for sure. Yeah, hill forts are known throughout Western Europe, but it's funny, Irish hill forts never came to be developed in the same way as I was having a look at. There's like, there's something called the Celtic Apida of continental Europe. It's sort of like a giant, it's crazy to look at it. It's, it's like, it looks like um, hill fort Wakanda, do you know what I mean? Uh, they're, they're massive looking. 
so it would just be like sort of more of an a, a large you know community sort of space um, but we never really as far as we can see from from archaeology and stuff I don't think we have those here in Ireland I assume that's just even a sort of population thing continental Europe you know what I mean it had a lot of space a lot of people to be throwing around Cashels, uh, stone built ring forts, tend to be much smaller than their earthen examples, uh, probably because it takes a lot more work. Uh, the average earthen ring fort has an internal diameter of 22 metres uh, in St. Donegal. Uh, Cashels in the same area have an average diameter of 20 metres, uh, so not that bad, two metres off. Uh, the Grianon of Alloc, with an average internal diameter of 23.4 metres, is larger than the latter, and therefore this must be an the indication of the wealth and importance of its inhabitants. So yeah, it's bigger than even most of the earthen examples in the area, and it's made of stone, so what a flex on whoever owned this. Um, yeah, Lacey suggests that the innovative nature of the stone fort of Alloc must have been an unusual site when it was first constructed. So this was pretty, you know, pretty chic. It was, it was pretty cutting edge uh, in Ireland. Uh, the names Garvin, Frigru and Rigru are found in many Irish authorities to be named as the builders of Alloc. Uh, but these are characters linked to the Formorians. Uh, so therefore, you know, they're mythological creations. Um, you can take what you want from that. Uh, so hopefully... Uh, Garvin, Frigu, and Rigru uh, built these. I don't know why. I, <laughs> I don't know why. What kind of Irish accent is that? <laughs> um, but uh, that's how we used to sound back in the day. Oh, Frigru, Rigru. But uh, Lacey believes that the builder may have been Aed Ordneda, uh, the victor of the Battle of Clotoch. So uh, someone from the O'Neill, the O'Neill dynasty. Uh, the view from Alioc is breathtaking. Uh, you, I've never been, you'll have to take their word for it. Uh, the glistening waters of Loch Foyle and Loch Swilly are clear, as is the form of the entire peninsula. Now, this little section is from um, <laughs> Discover Ireland. <laughs> so, yeah, they're going to have to write like this. Uh, a windy and exposed place, Greenland has been a silent witness to the history of Ireland. That I agree with. It has been a silent witness to, to the history of Ireland, and it's quite a, it's quite a stupendous place to... to Perch yourself within, and that's what we're going to do today. So yes, uh, the origins of the Greenon of Alloc Fort are dated back to 1700 BC. Uh, it's linked to the Tuatha de Danann, who invaded Ireland, uh, our madrigal ancestors, uh, before the Celts, and built stone forts on top of strategic hills. Uh, they worshipped Dagda, uh, the good god, uh, and he too is associated with the origins of Alloc, as uh, he ordered uh, a building of stone uh, to, to act as a burial monument to his dead son. Um, the round fort is largely without mortar. The interior has three terraces and wooden structures were built against the terraces to provide accommodation. Uh, the outline of Bronze Age or Iron Age ramparts can be seen below the fort. Uh, someone suggested that these uh, ramparts, um, you'll know them to see sort of um, dug out trenches and then as we said uh, banks on top. Uh, there's three around this one um, apparently it was it was more of a flex than anything else for want of a better word that it might have been just more uh, if you had one or two of them if you two maybe you were of very high importance so yeah the defensive nature began to uh, you know relate to let's say your status 
in the area. Um, but apparently a third, the third one, just given the area it's in and stuff that this that a uh, uh, green on a valley has, it wouldn't serve any better of a defensive feature. Uh, but just because it was linked to the idea of uh, one status, I, I suppose they just built another one. That's the best guess that we have. Maybe they were just being extra safe. Uh, but yes, uh, leg legend states that the giants of Inishown are lying sleeping underneath Green on Avalok. Uh, and when the sacred sword is removed, they will spring to life, reclaiming their ancient lands. Um, so don't take that sword out if you can, or maybe we need them. Oh yeah, and then just to finish out, Mr. St. Patrick visited the site in the 5th century and baptised the local chieftain, uh, Owen, from which Inish Owen gets its name. Uh, yeah, that was sort of a flyover history of Green uh, Valak, and now we're going to do a, a slightly slower flyover uh, through the eyes of uh, Samuel Scott. So please do, uh, I think, Discover Ireland's little uh, note there that it's the silent witness to Ireland's history. I think that's something important to consider um, as, as the pod goes on. All right, let's begin. Let's look at My f*** is dead. Rhiannon of Aliuk, an overlook by Samuel Scott. Made possible by the National Folklore Collection and the Ducas Archive. Unquestionably, by far the most interesting place in the vicinity of Derry, Donegal, uh, is the Rhiannon of Aliuk, and the tourists uh, should not miss seeing it on any account. Now from here, Mr. Samuel Scott goes on and tells you exactly what bus to get. <laughs> the LNLS railway and then you go somewhere from Waterloo Road uh, yeah we're not we're not going through that uh, just because it won't be relevant anymore uh, at the foot of the hill we come to a meeting of five roads of two cottages we take the left front road and make direct for the top after a sharp pull up the heathy slope we arrive at the site of the old fort O'Grianon as the peasantry call it, he puts in brackets. <laughs> oh, Samuel. <laughs> and find that we are on the summit of a bare round hill. 802 feet in height, the centre of which is occupied by a huge mass of dry stone masonry, circular in shape and about 17 and a half feet high. This building is the castle of the far-famed Grianon of Aliuk. Approaching it, we find that it has but one gateway facing the east seven feet high and an average breadth of three and a half feet. On each side of the gateway in the thickness of the wall is a niche, evidently made to receive folding doors laid back when the gate was open. Entering we first find ourselves in a circular amphitheatre. Seventy-seven and a half feet in diameter surrounded by the wall of the castle which is on an average about 13 feet thick at the bottom and diminishes as it rises giving room for two sometimes three terraces or platforms of varying breadths. The gateway is wider below than above and its lintel is formed by a very large flat slab of stone which supports the wall above it. I know this is all very great detail but Helps to build a little word picture. It's also interesting in a place. Like he has little drawings and stuff. It's mad hearing these descriptions when you can't just take a video or something. Uh, the stone of which the whole castle is built is the common grey schist of the drist. Of, of the drist. The common grey schist of the district. Interspe interspersed with a few blocks of quartz, gneiss and granite. 
Outside the cashel, three concentric rings of circumvallation or earthen enclosures can be faintly traced, surrounding it at unequal distances. Between the first and second, east of the cashel, are the barely discernible remains of a tumulus, a tumulus being a, an ancient burial mound. The architecture uh, of the cashel, a work of art without art, is of that rude style of uncemented stonework called Cyclopean, for want of a better name. Uh, I looked up Cyclopean, quite interesting. It's when, you know when you see in ruins the sort of uh, very, all the stones are of, of, of uh, different shapes. Uh, they mightn't be, they're generally not um, uh, so massive irregular blocks. Uh, they mightn't have, um, you know, any sort of mortar connecting them. And uh, another just definition of Cyclopean is resembling a Cyclops. Uh, but I do get what they mean in that I suppose you have all these uh, uh, big sort of differing rocks sort of staring out of you but to me that would be the exact opposite of a cyclops that would be some sort of many-eyed being um, but all the same cyclopean a very interesting word um, it exhibits a specimen of the first uh, attempts uh, of savage man to construct an edifice of stone and is consequently of very ancient date. Uh, yeah, this man's description of people is quite gas, but look, I guess we were savage man back then. Uh, and, and yes, we, maybe we are peasants. Uh, <laughs> the peasantry, I just can't get, get over for an opening paragraph. But anyway. Uh, when Solomon was building his temple in Jerusalem, wild Irish kings, which he puts in quotation marks, uh, were reigning on Greenon Hill. And from its walls, the smoke sacrifices to Baal, the sun god, arose morning and evening, uh, allegedly. I assume. Uh, the history of Greenon uh, of Alec is full of interest from every point of view. Its name is derived from the Irish word green, the sun. Uh, the name Aliak is a compound of the word of the Irish words al, meaning stone, a i l, stone, and lach, l e s c h, a house, signifies a stone building. Thus, the whole name may be translated to the stone house of the sun. So, I suppose that would uh, contribute to being um, uh, relevant to a sun god, and Baal was a sun god. Um, whether they sacrificed to people, I don't know. Could be very likely. Uh, which points to the conclusion that the old castle was originally a temple of the sun, uh, which indeed its pe uh, peculiar situation and construction uh, would irresistibly suggest. And also uh, that it was one of the, mo uh, of the first built of stone. That's quite interesting. I suppose, yeah, since, since they're sort of stressing, look, this, this, this is made of stone. Uh, so maybe they were quite proud of it. Further, we know that in every case where we can trace the emergence of man from primitive barbarism and the evolution of his religion, his first and last edifices are invariably dedicated to the service of his gods. The temple for the priest is always his grandest work. The palace for the king is only a secondary affair. found that quite interesting uh, sort of thing to suggest. Uh, makes sense. But as kings and priests have all through history been proverbially allies, an alliance which has been generally bo boded ill for human freedom and progress, I'll agree there, uh, the hut residence of the wild chief of the North Country was here also. It was probably within the earthen enclosure outside the castle, where also were driven the cattle of the tribes and its women and other treasures kept for safety. Funny word order there. <laughs> Cattle, women, and treasures. <laughs> Here, too, is the inaugurational stone, upon which successive chieftains and tanists were installed with rude ceremonies, the same which now lies at Belmont, near Derry. And just to let you know as well, a tanist is the heir to a chieftain in early Celtic uh, society.
There are strong reasons for believing that the Green On uh, was a sort of royal seat uh, and that it was known to Ptolemy, the elder. You might have known him. Uh, we've talked about him before. He's a Greek geographer and uh, sort of he's he just as a geographer uh, uh, early on he just had a lot of different sort of mariners and stuff and merchants who i think would come back to his his area in greece uh, and he was able to build a sort of a rough idea of what peoples existed in what areas um you know um so if you were noted in his his studies um you were likely to exist <laughs> you know what i mean um, but yeah, uh, it was said that uh, Ptolemy the Elder uh, wrote in AD 120, uh, great year, <laughs> in his map of Ireland. It's a mad to make a map of Ireland, you've never been there, uh, as a place, uh, Rigia, royal uh, in Greek, uh, which corresponds fairly well with uh, with uh, the Green Anna Valk. Uh, Ptolemy uh, obtained his information from merchants and mariners, mostly Phoenicians, uh, who were the ancient trader to the likes of these islands. Uh, so the Phoenicians, uh, Phoenicia was an ancient region uh, along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. So the Lebanon, maybe parts of modern Syria and Israel. So it's mad. Imagine thinking that these merchants either came close enough to Ireland to know, you know, maybe get sort of secondhand info themselves about royal areas and important areas in Ireland. Or even they, they got as far as, let's say, Donegal, and we're trading there. Um, it's crazy to think no more than our episode about um, the Talchin Games and how there were Greek traders there. At the period of Ireland's conversion to Christianity by St. Patrick, that famous and holy man, visited the Greenon and preached the gospel, gospel there. The gospel! <laughs> In AD 443, uh, Owen, from which... Uh, Inish Owen is named, and who was the son of Nile of the Nine Hostages, uh, who had brought Patrick uh, when a boy as a slave from France. So the Anneals, which is interesting, are to blame for, not to blame, but you know, responsible <laughs> for bringing Patrick over here and, and, and enslaving him up in Donegal. And eventually, uh, he was baptized by his own slave, so that's great. Um, when he was a free man, of course. Uh, the pagan worship was abolished and the Druids banished. But though the Greenon thus lost its sanctity in one respect, it retained and acquired fresh reverence in others. Owen's successors built their palace inside the castle, and the old walls, which had been a temple, now became a fortress. So no longer was the Greenon of Alloc uh, maybe a place, as he said, of barbarous acts of uh, paganism where the pagan gods, much like in a lot of other religions, um, were worshipped in the centre of this sort of commune. And uh, outside of that were the kings and the druids. Um, after Christianity's arrival in Ireland um, in the form of St. Patrick, the Green Annavalia quickly became a, a very different place, nonetheless still important, uh, but the centre of it uh, was no longer the religious centre. Uh, the uh, the O'Neill family drew in within there and the walls which would have uh, created uh, contained this sacred place were now uh, a fortress uh, so you can see still religion there still christianity uh, still the same kings but just you know <laughs> there was a little bit of there was a little bit of uh, interior design going on there a word of warning here let not the reader be misled by the words kings palace royal etc used in this connection Neither let him imagine that any building resembling Windsor, Windsor Castle or the Chateau of Versailles ever existed in this place. An Irish king was merely the elected, not hereditary, head of a coterie of half-savage clans, chosen because he was the ablest, strongest, or most cunning among them. 
His palace was a rude erection of logs and sods, thatched with straw, and his treasures consisted of the cattle of the clan, and their products, weapons, clothes, and personal ornaments. Now, he's gone very far here. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but literally, when I say I don't know about that, I don't know. Um, it, w it would stand to me that maybe the O'Neills, you know, it seems semi-hereditary anyway. I know someone can just take on the name O'Neill, maybe, and be the king of that place. Uh, but definitely, yes, it wasn't Windsor Castle. <laughs> um, th that's fair to say. Um, so maybe, um, I suppose... It's good to warn the reader not to maybe... I think it's very easy of us, and I often want to say this to sort of look back rosy-eyed at a time we weren't even there for, that maybe that these pagan or early Christian kings were, were these very noble people, but no, um, they definitely weren't. But then I also would dissuade anyone from going the other way and to call them sort of outright uh, barbarians and savages, I suppose, in one sense. Uh, you could call them that. <laughs> uh, um, they, you know, they were killing people in a manner that we wouldn't today. Um, but I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't go either or... Uh, you know, I'd say there's certain people that call them the best and the best too much, and there's other people that call them some sort of um, evil war demons. Uh, but however, it would be no exaggeration to say that any one of the snug farmhouses now beneath uh, the Green On Hill contains more comfort and treasure than ever did the palace of an Irish king. I think that um, that's why I think some of what he's saying is a bit bollocksy, for want of a better word. Yes, of course, the snug farmhouses of today are better than the palaces of Irish kings back then. <laughs> I've, I, that's gas to me. Like, yeah, I don't know. You probably have a, an iPad in the snug farmhouses today, you know. Um, but anyway, the one, I don't know. I digress. Neither let the reader fall into the mistake of imagining that the dry, open stonework of the castle constituted the walls of a palace. Uh, the latter stood inside, and the castle was merely its protection and defence. That's a good point. So the walls you see today are not, you know, the walls of some palace. Uh, they are um, they're the remnants of the fortification that protected what was inside. So there, me and Samuel will agree. Um, but the snug farmhouse thing, get a grip. Uh, so the Greenland continued uh, for over 600 years, uh, during which uh, period it was plundered several times by rival kings. He always put kings in quotation marks, by the way. And by Norse rovers. Thus, under the date 674 AD, the Irish annals recorded Aliok Fririn was destroyed by Finchnachta, the son of Dono, uh, king of Ireland. Again in 937, Aliok uh, Fririn was pillaged by the Danes. And the crowning disaster came in, in 1101 when the four masters recorded Murta O'Brien, King of Munster, at the head of the forces of Leinster, Osri, Mead and Connacht, marched with a great army across Asaro, or the River Erne, uh, and proceeded into Inishon, which he plundered and ravaged. And he burned many churches and strongholds about Fahanmura and Ardstraw and demolished the Greenon of Alec in revenge of the destruction and demolition of Kincora, uh, the village of the O'Briens, by Donald MacLachlan sometime before in 1088. And he ordered his army to bring from Alioc to Limerick a stone of the demolished building for every sack of provisions which they had with them. Damn, so a stone per provision. Giving your, giving your men a lot of work. Uh, this was the end of Grianon as a royal residence. 
the clans descended from Owen and his tribe, called in Irish genealogy the Kinnell Owen, had in or- uh, accordance with the custom became universal throughout Europe, assumed a surname and were now, now called the O'Neills. They removed the seat of the sovereignty eastwards and their chieftain and tenists in long succession were afterward installed uh, at Tullerhorath uh, near Loch Ney. Uh, so yeah, we, as we remember the O'Neills, we did reference that they were originally from around Donegal. Uh, the O'Neill clan now, if you look at any maps related to uh, surnames, would be more related to Tyrone. The uh, Grianon meanwhile lay deserted and desolate. Um, for long centuries falling more and more into ruin. Yet once more in its chequered history the old castle was fated to be used as a temple, this time of a different fate. During the dark days of the penal laws, the the Roman Catholic people of the neighbourhood used to assemble furtively uh, within it to hear mass, and on the relaxation of those laws a small chapel uh, with walls two feet thick was built in the centre mad uh, for the priest to celebrate the rites of his church therein whilst his flock were arranged on the broken terraces around soon after a people's chapel was built at Burt below the hill and the Grianon was once more forsaken for a lime do they mean for a time is forsaken for a lime what's it called um, an adage is that, a, is that a thing people say um, maybe but yeah, I find that uh, interesting. It's it's. Uh, uh, I sometimes forget to define early Christian from you know a more modern or a Roman Catholic time. Uh, that's mad during the penal laws. The people would have uh, met up there and huddled together to hear to hear mass. Uh, in 1837, the Ordnance Survey Commission, uh, having examined the ruins and published a full historical account uh, of them, uh, public attention was called to the place, with disastrous results. Visitors came hither from all parts, and the work of destruction which had hitherto been confined to time was accelerated with calamitous rapidity by the hand of man. What a great sentence. That's what you have to love Samuel for. <laughs> That's a great sentence. Jesus. The work of destruction which had hitherto been confined to time was accelerated with calamitous rapidity by the hand of man. That's great. Wantonly destructive vandals, treasure hunters and antiquaries with more curiosity than discretion all aided in this evil work. Until the year 1873 the wall of the castle had been brought down to a height of five or six feet and its materials scattered all about inside and outside. The worst was over. However, the day of its regeneration was not now about to dawn that's amazing that was a great sentence samuel <laughs> that was some construction i won't tear that down uh but no that's mad to think so thus far we've had sort of the chewadadanan whoever they were you know sort of whoever left uh these mounds around ireland then we had um the the pagan followers and um, the different the o'neill clan which lived around there and uh, then we had saint patrick coming saying oh please don't be worshiping the pagans to, to picking guts and then uh they took they said okay and they took that stuff out and then they decided to live in there which i think is a funny little flex uh but i suppose how many times have i said flex during this episode who am i um but yeah so then they lived inside it and then of course um they were shafted out of there and uh then we, we it's just known as a sort of place for for uh, penal law masses uh, i find it funny that they chose there if i were the brits and cromwell <laughs> maybe let's go check out that uh 
form of that constant religious center that's always around here. But anyway, so the regeneration. And also, yeah, the people, I can easily see that though, treasure hunters and antiquaries and all these people, the steel and stuff. A resident of Derry, Dr. W. Bernard, a gentleman of rare archaeological learning, taste and zeal, undertook to repair and restore the castle. You like him, Samuel. You like Dr. W. Bernard. He saw that no enclosing or railing in would be of any restoring to its original condition. Eh, with, with indefatigable energy and spirit, he worked upon the people of the district until he had infused into them a portion of his own enthusiasm and induced them to make a beginning of the restoration work in the spring of 1874. So that's great. Dr. W. Bernard was so uh, passionate uh, um, by archaeology that he, he really got the locals of the area to care, which I think is pretty cool. That's great. He must have been, he must have been a fair likable dude. Um, with consummate antiquarian knowledge and fidelity, he directed and encouraged his volunteer, uh, his volunteer band of helpers and persevered until the task was completed. The work occupied a considerable portion of each year until 1878. Damn, nearly five years. The neighbouring farmers and their men, from their long practice of building dry stone fences round their fields, were adept at piecing together the walls of the castle. Their materials lay ready to hand, thickly scattered about, about the ruins. Derry merchants and contractors supplied the scaffolding. Uh, he's dead right there as well. I think uh, the stone walls that you'll see around the west and, and even up around Donegal in Ireland, um, uh, they're very like this cyclopean walls that we were talking about earlier. You know what I mean? Sort of, ve you know, sort of just indiscriminately sort of stacking rocks um, rather than having, let's say, one sort of cut of stone. Uh, Dr. Bernard fed the workers and personally superintended the progress of the work until at length the hole was completed. Jesus, Bernard. <sighs> what were you cooking them? <laughs> and the spirited promoter and his willing assistants had the gratification of seeing the grey walls and terraces once more in the pristine condition. Damn. Uh, Dr. Bernard was guided uh, in his plan of restoration uh, by the vestiges of the castle found in their original position and by their analogy of similar buildings in Ireland, notably of Stag Fort in uh, Derry, which is nearly entire. The, whole new, the, I mean, the only new materials brought into requisition were 181 flags split from the adjacent rocks to supply uh, the place of the coping stones carried away by the uh, vengeful O'Briens in uh, 1101. Oh damn, to, uh, to complete their chieftain's castle at Limerick so yeah very few of the stones were actually replaced but they did cut 181 flagstones from the time as we mentioned when the chieftains took uh, not the group not the band <laughs> and the chieftains came up there and played a gig and stole all their stones <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was on their rider we want 181 flagstones from uh, Green on a Valley, please uh, the uppermost stones found in situ were marked with tar Oh, that's cool, so that you know which ones are fake. Uh, Dr. Bernard removed all traces of the little uh, Roman Catholic chapel as forming no part of the original structure. Oh, interesting. I'd love to, I don't know if they could have built, we could, we could create some sort of, I don't know, religious hub up there with every single type of um, uh, religious construction. We could have a little Roman Catholic church and some sort of early Christian church and, and you know, a, a feckin' mosque and, um, what did they call temple? Is that what Jewish people call their? Yeah. Anyway, 
So, uh, other than that, um, under the ruins and beneath portions of the wall, which was found necessary to rebuild uh, from the uh, from the foundation, Doctor Bernard discovered a number of articles, such as a rub and stone for grain, stone weapons, discs, clubs, etc., uh, which were sent to the Royal Irish Academy Museum. Also, a quantity of turf, ashes, and bones of the Bos Longafrod or Primeval Bull of Ireland. Damn! What did the Primeval Bull of Ireland look like? That's my new band name. The Pro- we are the Primeval Bull of Ireland. Uh, some of the objects thus found are extremely curious. For instance, a flat stone checkered into 36 squares for playing chess. That's pretty sick. That was a favourite game of the ancient Irish. Also pretty sick. Good on you. Great, 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 granny. Uh, and a stone phallus. So yeah, a, a stone penis was found there. Uh, I assume it was some sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of idle sort of thing. Maybe it was for fertility or whatever. Or maybe they were using it. <laughs> but I highly doubt. Maybe they were. What do you think? Do you think they would have used stone phalluses for, you know, whatever they... For peeing with, <laughs> uh, at the base of the green on a hill, uh, there are several caves penetrating uh, uh, for a considerable distance into its interior. I'm sorry. Uh, within the innermost uh, of these caves, tradition says some troops of Hugh O'Neill's horse lie in an enchanted slumber, awaiting the hour when they shall be called forth to strike a blow against the Saxon uh, for the freedom of Ireland. Okay, so some of Hugh O'Neill's uh, horses and men are lying in wait there. We're just, just getting ready to kill the Saxons. The annoying thing is, I think, you know, if they come out now, I, I don't know who the, who will they be killing. Um, they, they've missed out, but uh, maybe they'll kill someone. I don't know. A few landlords to toss about. Uh, the legend also relates how a peasant who accidentally discovered an opening into the cave uh, never known before or since went in and suddenly came on an armed band each man asleep with its head on his horse's side. The nearest clansman raised his head and asked in Irish, Is it time yet? <laughs> the startled peasant, too much frightened to reply, turned and fled, whereupon the gallowglass laid down his head and recomposed himself to sleep for a few more centuries. Perhaps he is snoring away amongst his comrades in there yet. Would he be considered a gallowglass? That's a mercenary, um, Mr. Samuel. <laughs> but you know more than me, I suppose. Um, from the parapet of the castle a magnificent view is enrolled before the spectator words fail to depict it we shall therefore leave it to be contemplated in charmed and admiring awe by the visitor who gazes upon it spread out far and wide beneath the glory of a summer afternoon or sunset Samuel you you write like a gentleman Uh, but even if you have some questionable thoughts but we may notice some of the chief features to the south lies the broad valley of the Foyle, away to where Strabane nestles at the foot of Knockarrow. Inland and nearer glitters the little lake of Portlock. To the east, behind the hills, a pall of blue smoke hangs over unseen Derry, and Loch Foyle rolls away to the rich green lands which slumber under the violet ridge of Ben Evena. That's gorgeous. Oh, I will go and see it. I'll go see it, Samuel, you've convinced me. Uh, northward uh, it wouldn't be but terrible if I did a whole podcast on it I was just, Jesus that sounds terrible I don't want to go see that <laughs> anyway northward the rugged barren hills of Inishowen stretch for many a league of rock and heather while away to the west of the great dark mountains of Donegal are piled up range beyond range with the peaks of Loch Salt Macish 
Nakala, e Altnapiste, and Irigal High overall. Right beneath us lies the flat farms of Bert, the love <laughs> of Bert, e the lovely shore of Fatten and Bencrana. Wahey! Waho! I am uh, Bencrana. Yeho! <laughs> e the bold island of Inch and the sparkling waves of Loch Swilly. Uh, we can appreciate beautiful language, isn't it, March? Uh, we can appreciate the consummate nocturnal uh, romanticism of the ancient Irish, who gave the singularity, uh, who gave the singularly appropriate name of Loch Swilly, the Lake of Shadows. Uh, it is a beautiful language, March. Uh, to this great arm of the sea, as we watch the light cloud shadows chase each other across its silver mirror. On the near side of the ruined castle of Bert, once a fortress of the O'Doherty. Way O'Doherty's whoa! Uh, stands sentry over verdant fields and grazing flocks. On the opposite shore, Inch Castle, uh, the still more ruined northern stronghold of the O'Donnell clan, perched on its wave-girt rock, flings its broken shadow over the restless billow. Far and wide does the Grianon look over northwest Ulster, and far and wide from many a highland window and doorstep, from many a brown mountainside, and from many a green valley, do the eyes of the people turn to the height, where in centuried grandeur it sits aloft, like a grey old sentinel, forever keeping solitary watch and war over the historic land of Clan Owen and Clan Connell. What weird and slurring scenes has the venerable Cashel witnessed? and what vicissitudes undergone since its wide walls were first piled together. For the story of the Grianon is the history of Ireland, and I truly believe that. It has seen the bloody heather rites of battle worship, the rising of the pure light of Christianity, yeah. uh, the preaching of saintly Patrick and the baptism of princely Owen, the going forth of Columba to the evangelization of Scotland, the installation of many a chieftain and tanist of Clan Owen on its crowning stone now in Belmont yonder, the departure of many an armed hosting and its return laden with the plunder of Leinster, Britain or Gaul, the ruthless savages of the Danes and still more savage vengeances of the Dalcastians. The long struggle between the haughty mail-clad Norman and the venomous saffron-kilted Milesian, the wars of Shane and Hugh and Owen Roe O'Neill, the flight of the Earls, the plantation of Ulster, the siege of Derry, the conflicts of James and William, the protracted agony of Roman Catholic Ireland during the dark penal days, the miserable insurrection of 1798, the agitation for Roman Catholic emancipation and the dawn of a brighter and happier and most importantly freer day. All these it has seen and all surveyed. And it has seen too the sturdy sons of its own land sailing around its ruined walls to build them up again with loving, with loving reverence and tender care, and to have enrolled amongst the cherished glories of Erin, in the foremost rank, the name and fame of the wondrous old Grianan of Alloc, our stone house in the sun. Well, look, that was a weird one. I know I mainly read one account, and maybe I didn't give much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, dialogue myself for once. Um, I came in every now and then to slap the back of Samuel's head and to uh, also commend him for his incredible writing. Am I right? That was beautiful, was I not? But no, uh, I would uh, recommend you go see it. I'm going to go see uh, uh, Green on a Valk for sure. Um, I find that last paragraph just gorgeous and I want to leave it on that. Um, 
in it's watched our history unfold and it will continue to do so i hope um and uh it's nice to imagine you know we along with maybe some of our some of our ancestors and some of our invaders have you know laid waste to it rebuilt it taken it for our own uh, but i think it's lovely to to hear that one man's sort of um interest in the place inspired a whole locality to come along with him and to reconstruct it and i think that i hope speaks um to the mindset and and to the to the culture that we have here in ireland um that we're looking forward to the future and uh kindly and that we're that we're um uh holding on to our past just as kindly as well so um so yeah, that's enough of the soppy stuff. Uh, Sloan Gafol, you big smelly yoke. Yeah. Uh, I hope you have a lovely uh, day or a lovely sleep if it's the evening or a lovely whatever you need to do today, just do it. Um, and remember, it's no real stress. Uh, you've done it once before, you'll do it again. Uh, much love to you. Uh, follow the Instagram if you'd like, uh, Pishrugs Podcast. Email us at pishrugspodcast at gmail if you have any local story, maybe from your your granny or your granddad or something and uh, if you want to check out our patreon and, and give us a donation there that's always appreciated too and uh, but don't worry it's not it's not expected of you. you you keep that money you buy yourself a cuisine the fans the baguette and you butter that down and you dip it into some soup and uh <laughs> you send me an audio recording of that and i won't listen bye music by Gareth Quinn Redmond. Illustration by Ashling Larkin Design. I picked that stuff up and I liked it. I would have stayed and cleaned it. But I wouldn't really. I'm just saying that because I'm being recorded.